0: Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Be in 1962 last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon oh, The Amazing Spider
0: Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing
1: Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk. My name is Dan Kavazdan and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com
0: I thought that was pronounced Gavosdin, Dan. No, it's Gvozden, Mark. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. And I'm Mark Ginocchio, pronounced Ginocchio.
1: I thought it was Ginocchio.
0: Definitely not. Uh, don't ever say that again. Ever. Or I'll bring Flash Thompson over. And we know what happened the last time Flash was in the, in the house. Ginocchio. Anyway, we're ignoring Gavos in there, I'm the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog, and now an editor and writer and jack of all trades for SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So everybody out there, thanks for joining us for a special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. As always, we hope you enjoy this podcast, and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors, as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
0: Yeah, Dan, and for this episode, we'll be discussing our Potential Essential Spider-Man comic of the week. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about the first full Venom storyline from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 315 to 317. What's that? I'm doing a Venom story, and it's not ASM 300, Dan. What has happened to the world? Mind-blown. Mind blown. Yes, and this is this story is by David Michelini, not to be confused with David Michelini, since we're on the topic of mispronounced last names, and Todd McFarlane. Then we'll read your comments and emails and go through our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. That's if Flash is recovered enough to join us. I don't know, Dan. He, he sounded pretty banged up last episode.
1: Last I heard, he had raked up a serious hospital bill.
0: Yeah, and I, as I said, I am not paying for it. Which is good it's, for you, yeah. You know, like, yeah, you know, just because he like lives in the corner of my house doesn't mean I have to pay his hospital bills. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not his uh, his dependent, right? I, or his uh, whatever. I'm I'm not his mom and dad. Although, you know, who knows what's going on there?
1: Of course, if you hear this sound, <laughs> please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image. To enhance your listening experience, Mark, we got three issues to talk about today, so I think it's prudent that we get on with the show and talk about your choice of essential comic, The Amazing Spider Man, numbers 315 to 317. Uh.
0: You wanna go to get away from All right, Dan, so uh, this next essential choice comes courtesy of me. Uh, And it's issues uh, Amazing Spider-Man 315 to 317. And, you know, as I joked about in the intro, um, yes, I'm doing a Michelinie McFarlane Venom story and I'm not doing Amazing Spider-Man number 300, which for those who know the show and have followed Chasing Amazing is like the comic that essentially hooked me into comics when I was a seven year old. Um, and while I love Amazing Spider-Man number 300 and it still ranks as one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time, I actually found these three issues to be more in line with the essential element of, uh, what we're trying to, you know, achieve here in this series. And, uh, the reason why is, um, I feel that, that these three issues kind of sent, set more of a template for how Spider-Man and Venom stories would be told going forward, just in terms of you know, generally the, the arc and direction and how the story is resolved. Um, I also feel these issues, we get a better sense of Venom as a character uh, and his moral code, and and I think these were elements that ultimately made Venom into this game-changing villain and probably, I would say, the most popular Spider-Man villain introduced over the last 30 years. Does that sound fair, Dan?
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: I mean, you know, I, 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 I can't think of anyone else. Um, you know, Moreland? No, <laughs> yeah. no it's
1: Freak. Yeah, I, freak is a favorite.
0: Mr. Negative. Uh, but I mean, anyway, some of
1: these people had potential to do that. But, uh, you know, I think this story, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but this story kind of uh, takes the introduction and then locks in this very – interesting and very solid mechanics of like how this villain would work in a way that some of those other villains don't like I think Mr. Negative is an interesting you know reveal and backstory but the way he's been written over the years is kind of you know uh, varied uh quite you know in quality and in characterization quite greatly whereas Venom you know this was like a series of stories that just further fleshed him out and how he worked
0: yeah, no, definitely, and and not to, again to fly too far off the reservation here, but like I feel like Venom, for all you spidey historians, is kind of like what Hobgoblin should have been if the reveal wasn't botched. You know what I mean? In terms of like modern era villains uh, in the pantheon, um, you know, I feel like Hobgoblin could have done it, and then they botched the reveal, and then they brought back Norman Osborn, and then like the whole character was negated. Whereas with Venom, even with the addition of Carnage and the symbiotes and everything, I still feel that. There's some cachet there, as we're even seeing in Renew Your Vows. So, um, you know, bully for that. Um, And then just the last reason why I I wanted to highlight this as an essential was um, in terms of creator runs, um, I feel like this arc was kind of the peak or the pinnacle of the uh, Michelinie McFarlane run, which, I mean, in terms of sales, might be the most popular Spider-Man run ever. Um, I mean, this was kind of you know, the, the, the onset of the comic book boom that kind of trickled into the early 90s. And, you know, basically for Marvel, if it wasn't an X-Men book, it was a Spider-Man book. And and the fact that, you know, Michelini, who was, you know, had this very storied run on Iron Man that kind of established him as, as a presence at Marvel. And then McFarlane was like the hotshot superstar young artist. Um, and, you know, Venom was kind of their prized, Creation together, so I feel like in terms of a full arc, this was this this was kind of the peak of that run. So um, you know, from a historic standpoint, I think that's worth mentioning. Yeah, that's a really good reasoning. So let's talk a little bit about the story itself and and the comics. So um, again, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with their 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 venomology or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, Venom, of course, was first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 300. That's what we learned. Uh, his origin story, you know, he's Eddie Brock, the disgraced newspaper reporter from the Daily Globe who uh, basically has a vengeance for Spider-Man because he, it was that he revealed the identity of the Sin Eater and then Spider-Man proved that it was a fabricated story. Um, so he swore vengeance. Uh, but, you know... He also was ready to kill himself until he was rescued by the symbiote, which was the black costume, alien costume that Spider-Man spurred after Secret Wars. Uh, so their combined hatred created this supervillain that could, you know, was had basically all of Spider-Man's abilities but was stronger, didn't set off his spider sense and, you know, basically was an all-around, uh, you know, bad you-know-what. Um and even though Spider-Man succeeds in defeating him in, in his first appearance, uh, as as villains are wont to do, uh, Venom busts out of the raft, uh, which was the, the prison du jour uh, in this era. And, um, you know, right away in this issue, uh, 315, we get this very weird, twisted sense of morality from Venom, which I think is what, you know, for me as a, kid drew me into the character um this you know he kills a guard and then
1: classic tropes of oh what's the guard doing in the cell let me just rush in and investigate
0: yeah (laughs) and and i mean kills him brutally i mean this is like i mean you know he doesn't hack him into bits but he suffocates him using the symbiote which is you know a pretty awful way to go
1: yeah, one of the and, things that surprised me when revisiting this is just how violent this series of comics is.
0: Yeah, I mean these are these are some pretty dark, messed up comics for for Spider-Man. I, I mean, mean, there's you know,
1: blood, and I you know I can I, I can think of a handful of times that blood has really made an appearance in Spider-Man comics.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and, and not for nothing, I mean, blood and guts literally get dumped on Spidey at one point <laughs> in during <laughs> yeah. the storyline. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's intense stuff, but, you know, after Venom kills this guard brutally, he talks about, you know, it's kind of this end, do the ends justify the means? soliloquy about, you know, killing innocents and that, you know, he, he hates to do it, but, you know, the, the larger the larger goal is to kill spider-man and thus this guard was in his way of doing that so he had to and then he kisses him on the forehead and if that's like not the creepiest visual I don't know what is Dan <laughs> I mean it's just so it's so disturbing right I mean like this is really weird watching this guy kiss the forehead of this man he murdered I mean it's like really going into some soci, sociopathic stuff here
1: yeah you know and, and venom would develop, this is pre-giant tongue venom. Yes, uh, and and we get to see the development of like the big jaw and stuff slowly appear towards the end of this story arc, but like yeah, the only way I could think of this being creepier is if the tongue was involved. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were spared that, and we yeah. were also this 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 storyline is also uh, void of any brain eating references. So Thank um, God. Yeah, but. So this is kind of how this in the, this prologue is how this storyline uh, begins, and and then naturally the rest of three fifteen is kind of like, I mean I feel it's kind of like this paint by numbers Michelinie ninety story or late 80s story. I, I forget if it's if this issues are eighty nine or ninety, um, but you know we're we're we're. You know, Peter and MJ are actually living with Aunt May again because they're coming off of that. Do you remember the storyline where the the, the landlord in their townhouse, like, started stalking MJ and kidnapped right. her? Right, right. And, and then they get kicked out, of course. Um,
1: There's this th- bizarre plot line that I had totally forgotten about involving Peter and MJ's cousin. Yeah. existence eluded me until earlier today when I reread this.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, the cousin Christy, who yeah. I... I, I think I if memory serves, I think this goes in a, a very special episode kind of direction, right? I mean, yeah think she has like an eating disorder or something, and she definitely has a crush on Peter that goes a little too far too, right? Is yeah that, it's
1: kind of weird because Peter kind of reacts to her too, and I don't know what her age is, but it seems kind of ambiguously young
0: yeah it's 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 very strange and and you know this is this is where you know McFarlane. You know, love them love or not, the the, the exaggerated um, features and anatomy, I mean, like, it, 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 you know, it it makes characters like Christy and like Nathan Lubensky, who's in this, like, it just adds this aura of unsettling, this unsettling aura to the story, right? I mean, just visually, because it's like these characters are, I mean, you know, like Nathan almost resembles a, a, a skeleton, you know yeah. like it, it's 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 very cryptic i think i mean
1: well meanwhile peter is like a a professional weightlifter and mj right. is this pinup model which i guess is appropriate for what her job is but nearly every image of her is like you know wanka vision yeah you know, she's it's like looking up her skirt and with her like you know fishnet leggings and so on you know You can't help but feel a little dirty reading these
0: books. I was going to ask, Dan. I mean, you've you've, we've talked about you know the objectification of women in in these comics. I mean, the the MJ stuff's got to be a little weird, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You know, reading through this again uh, and looking at Todd McFarlane's artwork, you know, it's it's weirdly reminiscent of um, Giuseppe Camuncoli and Humberto Ramos's work. I mean, one for Ramos, the the like crazy anatomy and poses and, uh, I guess, like pin-up women. But one of the other things I noticed is that all of the – a lot of the pages are full of these really tall panels, much like we would see in Common Coley's work over the past couple years. And I wonder just how much those two artists – I mean, and many of the Spider-Man artists going forward from McFarland were influenced by uh, books like this
0: yeah definitely well i mean i know you didn't mention him in the in the in in those artists but i know ryan stegman directly was i mean influenced by this run you know like like mcfarlane's work specifically on spider-man yeah um so i mean like i and and you know i i kind of consider all those well ramos has been around a little longer than kamo and and stegman but i you know for the most part i kind of consider them contemporaries i think i think Especially if, you know, I get the sense that all three of those guys are big Spider Man fans. I I would feel that this is definitely an influence on them. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not even an artist, and I feel like McFarlane's art was influential on me in terms of my, my relationship with comics. And it's like when you go back now, years later, you know, I, Like, I see the flaws, and I see where the criticism lies, but, like, I still can't break from, like, my nine-year-old self reading these comics. Yeah, I
1: mean, his version of The Thing might be the most 90s thing ever created.
0: Oh, craggly craggly face thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got so many rocks, you know. Yeah. And each one's got a pocket.
0: And do you spot Felix the Cat in these issues?
1: Yeah, I've I've picked him out a couple times.
0: For those who don't know, uh, McFarlane... It's it's like a running gag would always work in a visual of Felix the Cat somewhere in every one of his stories. Yeah. So, uh, you know, go through that run if you have Marvel Unlimited or you have the comics in your house somewhere and, 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 and try and spot Felix. It's a lot of fun because he shows up in some fun places sometimes.
1: One of the things I think that's, while we're talking about McFarland's artwork, and I'm sure we probably discussed this before, is that, you know, if you're reading from the beginning, you know, every artist kind of has their own spin on it, but I would say he's the first one to really kind of, like, do his own thing with the character. Everybody else is kind of doing their version of Dicko or Romita Romita. or a combination of the two, and McFarlane is like, I mean, they just were like, go ahead and do whatever you want because it really feels different in a way that, you know, uh, other artists, you know, don't. I mean, even, I'd say, John Romita Jr., He's still doing shades of his father, even though it's distinguishable.
0: Yeah, and I th- I, I think in addition to his father, J.R. Jira was also very he- heavily influenced by the the Jansen Miller artwork on Daredevil, which is funny because Jansen would obviously ink Ramita a ton over over the years. Um, so even on maybe
1: Superman now.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dan, not to gloss over it, but I mean, you know, in three fifteen, you get. Spider Man Hydro Man story, which is fine and it's fun because it's McFarlane drawing Hydro Man, um, which is a good character for, for him to do.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's the best looking Hydro Man has ever been in a book.
0: Yeah, mo- yeah, no question. Uh, that includes the Mud Monster run during the Denny O'Neill years. <laughs> um, but you know, the I, I feel like you know, the, the, the main course of this story is. is Venom, and he's kind of lurking in the background of the story, and then you have, um, you know, he's he's threatening more guards to to kind of get his footing and get out of there and establish a base uh, in the sewers, and then um, and he hitchhikes, and it's such a you know I love that you know so they it's like well your your standard oh we don't usually pick up hitchhikers but you know you seem so nice, (laughs) Um, and I just love the final visual. Of this comic, which is this like this, and this is we've talked about with Camo. I mean, he does this. The it's like three. It's one panel split into three. It's all just one image, uh, which I just I don't know. It's it's I don't know if that's technically a smart or practical thing to do, but it looks cool, <laughs> which is probably I think sums up McFarland in a nutshell, which is, I don't know if it's practical, but it looks cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, when people talk about his artwork or working with him, they're like, well, he just knew what looked cool.
0: Yeah, you know, it's just, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I I can't give it a, a, a you know, a true critique, but, you know, and it's and it's Venom talking, or it's Brock talking about, oh, you know, I think they were like, oh, living in caves, aren't you afraid of snakes? He's like, no, I only hate spiders, ha ha. And, and thus the cliffhanger. Uh which brings us into three sixteen, which now Dan, the the cover to three sixteen, uh, which shows Venom kind of standing triumphantly over Spider Man and Spider Man's like on his back and Venom's claws are kinda you know, tearing out his costume. Um for me that's kind of the iconic Venom visual. And the uh, most copied cover in the history of covers. You think so? Okay, so I'm not just imagining this, right? Like, yeah, no, is, I mean,
1: even Todd McFarlane has, like, made several copies of it into his Spawn series, even just last year.
0: Okay, I mean, like, you know, I know the three ASM 300 cover gets homaged a lot, but I feel like this one is kind of, in terms of McFarlane covers, it might be right up there. Uh, you yeah, know, certainly for Spider-Man, so... I just wanted to put that out there, but but this is—I mean, this is the issue where the Venom arc really gets grooving. We get, you know, after after having Venom kissing a, a dead guy in the last issue, we get what I think might be the most the second most unsettling thing in the comic, which is Venom versus Black Cat. What did you think of this sequence, Dan?
1: It's brutal. I mean, he like knocks her through a wall and like sl- and like tears on her hair. It's what it, at least what it looks like. And she is like bleeding all over. I mean, it's pretty brutal, even though I think his interpretation of Black Cat is not particularly great.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. But I mean, it's I mean, she's just basically there to be venom fodder, um, although Michelin, I think, does work in a really fun. Uh, I don't know if it's fun, but an interesting little uh, bit of character work here where you know black cat is basically you know beaten within inches of her life and venom skips off to be like i'll I'll go find the wife because because black cat shows up in peter's old apartment looking for him you know thinking like you know we'll get back you know we're gonna go back together you know i i i screwed things up because remember this was only a couple years removed from the peter black cat coupling which i know is your favorite couple of all time
1: yeah right (laughs) they're all right they made like number three on my top list or whatever
0: well just for longevity (laughs) alone you know like it's it's um they they had a thing for a while but um and as venom skips off and talks about finding peter's wife you know you know black cat like through through all of her pain and despair just mutters out wife and you know i mean like i feel like Michelini sometimes gets like criticized for being like a little too flat and and stoic in his character work, which kind of is I mean I think that's what years on Iron Man will do. Uh, you know you're you're writing a lot of people in tin in, in metal suits and robots and cyborgs. but like I don't know I really liked that as a character beat for Felicia.
1: I mean just the fact that like these first two chapters in the story are like nonstop character moments. I mean Nathan Lubesky gets a whole character arc in, in this book. Um, yes. That I think is really satisfying.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and it actually pays off the uh, a, a Falco friend story. Yeah, that kind of- yeah. It kind of like ties up the loose ends from that the tragic ending of the the um the whatever happened to Crusher Hogan story, which is a personal favorite of ours, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there's a lot of character work in these stories. I mean, obviously with Venom, as we've discussed, but um, yeah. So I just I just really like that beat from Felicia. I feel like it kind of added this pang of sympathy um, where she could just be viewed as a character that was being a troublemaker, you know, like, I mean, Peter, Peter and MJ have been married now for a number of issues, uh, you know, both, you know, probably two years in real time. I don't know what in comic book time it was. Um, and, you know, just to kind of have her show up and be like, Oh, we're gonna get back together. Huh? Huh? You know, it's kind of like, you know, if, Without that moment, it might be easier to kind of dismiss her as like, oh, whatever, Felicia. You're 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 so you're so uh, Bill Mantlo era man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the time where she first decided to become a crime lord, right?
0: Yeah, was that? I thought. Well, she kind of, like, started living a normal life for a while, too, because she oh, no, ended up was, with Flash. I was
1: joking. I was joking.
0: Oh, I'm like, what? I, I don't remember that. I remember her ending up with Flash to make Peter jealous, which was kind of weird. Uh,
1: no, I was uh, joking.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: but I remember the yes. Flash stuff. That stuff's funny.
0: Yes. Okay. Why are you joking with me? Don't joke with me, Dan.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot. This is a strictly
0: no-joking zone. No. Unless you're talking about bacon. No, I'm not going to go there. Um, But anyway, and then we get, we eventually get the first Spider-Man Venom fight and it ends with Peter being covered in quote unquote blood and offal, which is O-F-F-A-L, which is basically, you know, intestines and guts and entrails. So there's your blood and guts, literally. Um, Fun fight though, right?
1: Yeah, it's totally fun, but really it's just a preface to the big knock at, down fight in the next issue.
0: Yeah, and but I also feel like this like this the, in the lead up to this fight we we again we kind of establish why Venom is such a threat. Um, you know, he's kind of more or less reveals to Peter, I've been following you for hours. And it's like that realization of Oh, that's right, my spider sense. You know, I mean it's 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 definitely exposition, but I think it's useful exposition and reminding us of, of Venom's skill set.
1: I love how he gets away from Venom. He like punches the biggest thing he can find and it just falls over on top of him.
0: Yeah. But and and that's I mean I mean, but again, I mean it's it's definitely clear that Spidey's overmatched, you know, and and, and, and I feel this does a good job of that. It's like, you know, Venom is like you know, the Frankenstein monster that just keeps coming back and, and, you know, it it creates a sense of menace, which is again, why this villain I feel was so effective. You know, he, he, there were layers to him, but at the end of the day, he was just this unstoppable machine that you really had to, um, to trick to, you know, more or less, or luck your way out of, um.
1: Well, he's, and, out, he's obviously outpowering him, even just in the visuals alone. I mean, Eddie Brock is the beefiest dude ever drawn into a comic book. And to be honest, I kind of like him this way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's also relentless. As we see, like, when ASM 317 opens up, he's at the door of Aunt May's house as Eddie Brock, not in, in Venom costume. And it's like, Computer come out and play? And again, it's like, this is just... So unsettling and and I in a great way like this is this is this is how you build tension with a character, you know like it's like he's he is just so persistent and brazen and confident that he will eventually kill spider man that he'll just show up in plain clothes at his house i mean that's phenomenal to me
1: yeah i mean i i like we said over the years, my first comic i ever read or my first spider man comic I ever read was three seventy five but the first McFarlane Venom story that I ever read, and probably the first McFarlane that I ever read was issue three seventeen. And it just opens with that visual of Eddie Brock at the door with the whole you know, mirroring the Mary Jane reveal. And what a great way to be introduced to a character.
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably you know, how old were you when you read those issues? I mean it probably terrified you, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact that he could come to this guy's house. And be that threatening. I mean I didn't miss out on any of that as a kid. And uh, yeah, I mean when you first proposed these three issues to be part of our essentials, I almost would just propose this issue, 317. Because it, right. it, it can stand on its own and for many years for me it did stand on its own because I never read the other two issues. And I grew up with this one Venom story, just loving this story and reading it dozens and dozens of times. And it was just the conclusion to the story. But, I mean, you get everything you need to know in this one issue.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, because, again, uh, you know, we talked about the moral code uh, from 315, and this one kind of lays it out there, too, because, you know, when, when Peter goes out to confront Venom. You know, and he's just more or less like, so why aren't you, why aren't you attacking me right now? You know, it's like, what, what are you waiting for? And and Venom is like, well, there's, you know, innocent people around, and we're in, the, we're in a crowded suburban area. Why would I do that? And then it's like, well, why aren't you just going to out my identity? And it's like, well, I, I want you all for myself. I don't want other villains trying to get a crack at you before I, I can. And it's like, it's this twisted logic, but it, it, it you know, it carries through it makes sense and 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 that's the sign of a good villain you know like it's it's a character you know the, the villain needs to have convictions and they need to be convincing convictions you know like it's 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 it's, it's and I, I don't know do you do you agree with that dan
1: yeah i mean i think up to this point venom had kind of just been like a powerful bruiser and right. I, for me 317 is the issue that like makes venom like, it's the issue that makes Venom an, an interesting character and, and probably defines why he's so popular is the fact that they can go – he can show up at Aunt May's house and he and Peter can walk down the street with his arm around Peter's shoulder like pretending to be his chummy buddy.
0: Right. And
1: th- there's nothing more terrifying in Spider-Man comics I think than this moment. Like, this man has integrated himself into Spider-Man's personal life. Uh in a way that none of his other villains I feel I mean like the goblin definitely could, but I don't feel like even on Norman's most sane day, he could never be this chummy and creepy.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and that's the other thing. I mean, you know, like you know, Eddie is you know, is being chummy while he's essentially explaining how he's gonna disembowel him. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's right. just kinda like, you know, and, I and, and I actually do feel like Norman would later get elements of that. Like I feel after he returned from the dead, there was kind of like, you know, like I feel like during those like late 400s issues, right. you, know, like, you know, like, like, you know, like, oh, look at you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but
1: it is but kind it, of a pale shade of like venom.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And, 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 and even, even with, you know, Spidey's identity being out and about again, with you know through Superior and stuff. I I I I don't feel that anything is quite matched this dynamic, and I, you know I I I love how, <laughs> you know it's like you're gonna come, you know Venom's like you're gonna come to. He he proposes fighting at the beaches of Montauk, which is where I would vacation a lot as a kid. I don't believe the seek was it the Sea Crest Hotel is the hotel that they talk about. Right. I don't believe that's actually on the beach. I don't recognize that, but you know, um but let me say that there are beaches in Montauk. They're beautiful and they would be vacant in the winter. Although the seasons in this story are a little inconsistent, right? Yeah,
1: right. I mean, it starts off with like a blizzard and by the end of it they're on this beach. And I, I maybe it's just me that find, find this odd uh because I only had that last issue for so long, so I was just like, "Oh, it's like summer or like Spring and they're wearing jackets, and then to you know to finally read the full story, I remember thinking, "Wait a minute, it's winter! I had no idea it was winter."
0: Yeah, I mean, winter on the beach and you know in the South Shore of Long Island. I got to tell you, I don't know how long Peter, even in super strength, would be able to stand out there in his underwear waiting for the symbiote to get him. You know what I mean? Boy,
1: did we see him in his underwear!
0: Yeah, well, McFarland, it's extreme. But, um, you know, we, we, we do get some moments of Peter trying to get help and Venom, you know, more or less going like, you're on your own <laughs> or I'm going to I am going to go after your family, um, which finally leads us to that beach fight. And, and like I feel like even within Spider-Man and Venom stories, this is a fight that gets copied a lot in terms of templates, right? Yeah, I mean I,
1: and it's, it's one that we don't – like, you know, I think was like the way it was structured, um, we don't really get anymore. Like old Spider-Man fights and classic Spider-Man fights, it would be like, OK, let's do a, bre- like a quick run-through of all of these people's powers and then weaknesses. You know, and you get things from Spider-Man being like, oh, no, I'm almost out of web fluid and stuff like that. And now no one focuses on that anymore. Spider-Man could just be any other guy. Yeah. Um, but, like, I like that in this one. We get a run-through of, like, Venom's weaknesses and then how he overcomes them. And it's kind of like this weird little chess match between the two of them.
0: Yeah, and uh, we do get the, the new ability of him sending the tendrils ahead of him through the beach sand to, like, suff- you know, to pull Peter under, which I thought was, I mean, you know, in terms of power set, that's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: how it's visually laid out is cool, too, with the three, like, almost identical panels that uh, like show the progression of him being pulled under the sand. I've always loved that Peter gets pulled under the sand with that big bump in the sand. Like it's a carpet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's very clever. And then, you know, I mean, Peter is definitely overmatched here. Um, You know, like he, he can't win this fight. So he throws up a Hail Mary and uses the brain. And again, I mean, that's, we, we will, we talked about this and we'll talk about this in future essentials. I'm sure. Um, you know, I mean, that to me, that's the best resolution in a Spider Man fight because that's you know, Spider Man has always been that character where, yeah, he does have this the proportionate strength of a spider, but what makes him Spider Man is, is who he is under the costume, which is Peter, who is a very intelligent person and, and resourceful. Um, and what Peter basically does to win is he more or less concedes the fight and just goes and attempts and, and tries to bait the symbiote to, to reconnect with him. And to leave Venom and because the symbiote still has this – I think he describes it as being in love with him, which is a little weird choice, but okay. Um, It goes to him and weakens Venom to the point where I guess it kind of makes him pass out, which might be – I mean that was not fully explained in my impression, but –
1: I like that he kind of like pulls away from it and it kind of like is – Like trying to attach itself to both of them and it just kind of snaps. That was kind of my interpretation was just like it's a lot of stress to kind of pull away and Peter is super strength and Eddie is just a big dude and he just can't handle the like strength of detaching the – the thing tearing away from him. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. That was always my interpretation of it. Right. And they do kind of leave it where like he, he's just walking away like I'm gonna go get the thing to go corral these guys. I mean, you know, like you're kind of almost waiting for like one more panel of, you know, Venom's hand surging up or something. All but right. <laughs> But you don't get that for another, I think, fifteen issues or so before Venom would reappear. But um but yeah, I mean this is this is these are these are worthy this is a worthy resolution to a good fight, right, Dan?
1: Yeah, absolutely i think this is a great pick for the essentials and uh if people haven't picked up on this yet mark had first choice and he chose a lot of really good ones
0: uh, oh oh come on now we're now we're, now we're throwing this on me i mean come on and, and who chose first i mean
1: no, uh, no, no i'm not throwing anything on you i mean you chose a bunch of really good comics i can't argue with this one this is a great pick
0: okay well I, I i appreciate that and uh, you know i thought i thought doomed affairs was a very inspired choice too so i think our last few have been good What well, i wonder if our next one will be as good dan
1: uh, i wonder mark anyway uh, and, and in the spirit of moving forward let's talk about <laughs> comments and emails
0: Yes, Dan, comments and emails. If you want to talk about these essential comics or, or anything else that we've been talking about or want to give us some feedback on the show, uh, why don't you leave us a comment and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, find us by searching on Amazing Spider Talk or just Spider-Man. Um, and also while you're there, too, in addition to comments and emails, uh, why don't you subscribe to us so you can get us in your feed every week? I mean, come on. What's better than that? Uh, if you want to email us, the email address is amazingspidertalk at gmail.com. Uh, we do ask that you kind of keep it brief and, and let us know what your question might be or just what, what the general thrust of your comment is. And for those who like to ask or questions or make or give us feedback in 160 characters or less, you could tweet at us at supspidertalk on um, Twitter and just hashtag it okay to print. Dan. What's going on with the Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-two giveaway?
1: Yeah, well, we don't have any comments this week, and uh, no one has come forward to claim the Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-two that I'm giving away. Which, if I want, rem- I can remind you, is written by Stan Lee and uh, illustrated by John Romita Sr. I mean, a real classic issue. I'm just gonna give it away. So I guess they must not be listening to the show anymore. So I'm going to keep doing this until someone does respond to the giveaway, and I'm going to open it back up again. If you want to give us a comment and get added to the raffle, please do so because it looks like your chances are getting better all the time. Um, So this week's potential winner, and only if they write in – is Iron Spidey? So, Iron Spidey, if you are out there, please write to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail dot com with your name and address, and I will send you a copy of Amazing Spider Man number seventy two with that wonderful Shocker cover.
0: Yeah, what are you what What are you people waiting for? You're getting a free Silver Age comic. I mean, my goodness, right?
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I guess I know a lot of people have been burned out post Spider Verse and. Maybe they're not listening anymore because they're not reading the book anymore. So who knows? But, you know, for all those of you who are still listening and have commented, this is your chance to win something. So I hope Iron Spidey was listening. Anyway, uh, we got some email, Mark, from uh, our friend Brian Huberty. Uh, what, is he, what is he asking us about?
0: Yeah, well, well, Brian is a lifelong Spider-Man fan going back 40 years, um, and he wants to ask, uh, what we think Dan Slott's legacy is. And, you know, Brian offers up that he, you know, he, there's been some great stuff, like No One Dies and the, and the Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries. Uh, but it does sound like he's maybe running out of steam, in Brian's opinion. Uh, Dan Slott's obviously been a very long-tenured writer, but is he a great one? Um, Dan, why don't you go first?
1: Yeah, this is, um, it's tough because with someone like Dan Slott, because, I mean, we've talked about it on the show we really like a lot of his stuff. And then there's other stuff we're just not so hot on. And he's been on long enough that that, you know, there's kind of a healthy balance. Someone like Roger Stern was on the book for a very short time but had all great books. So he's able to kind of float to the top. So it really depends on how you kind of look at this. You know, if we take the number of great stories Slot has written, which I think have been, you know, a pretty good number compared to a lot of Spider-Man writers, he might be somewhere near the top. But he's also had a lot of really ho hum stories, at least in my opinion. So I don't know. It's it's tough to place him. I would say, you know, it's hard, he's had such a long time in the book. I would place him maybe not in the top, but he's somewhere up near the better end of Spider-Man writers.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say he's kind of like to me like a tier two writer. Like I mean, obviously the the first tier is you know you got Dick Golee and then Lee Ramita. And then Stern, and then I would even say J.M. DeMatteis. Um, you know, certainly his spectacular run. I mean, I think J.M.D.'s spectacular run might be better than most people's ASM runs. Um, and, and and then I mean, his his some of his ASM work. I mean, he J.M.D. was only on ASM for like a handful of issues, like sure. in the nineties. Um, but even like in the Clone Saga, his I always felt his stories were the strongest. Um, you know. Um, but then there's like that second tier, which is like I feel like Defalco, who you know as great as Defalco was in the '80s, in his '90s work, you know, was a little up and down, right? I mean, I don't I don't think that's unfair to say, right? Sure. I mean-
1: and I don't think like the Defalco Friends run, as great as it is, it doesn't have any kind of like big moments that you can kind of say like this is the defining moment of their run in the way that a lot of these other uh writers do they'll come up with a character that lives on forever or you know even you know michelaney um you know his stuff wasn't really that great but he has venom you know yeah
0: yeah well exactly he has venom he has carnage whether you like carnage or not i mean there's cosmic spidey i mean michelaney i would put michelaney probably in the lower half of the tier two um and you have jms straczynski again i mean came in gang i mean you know the first half of straczynski's run you i think might might go up there in the pantheon uh for spider-man but you know there is that second half which has such things as sins past and then of course one more day
1: as soon as uh, Diodato got on the book
0: yeah i mean yeah and you can't you can't just gloss over that i mean and even some i mean like some stories that I know people like. I mean, I I can take or leave. Like Back in Black, and um, some of the Civil War stuff. I you know the other um, you know these these were okay stories or in some cases bad stories. So I mean I feel that hurts his overall stock. Um, and I would put slot there. I feel like you know like Big Time and and no one dies was very inspired. Spider Man Human Torch. Is a phenomenal story. I think it's one of the best things Dan Slott ever wrote. Um, the, you know, even uh, like a lot of the the brand new day stuff that Slot did, I thought was very good. I mean, I,
1: Superior. I, when we started our podcast, we were so into that.
0: Superior was good. I would say through at least twenty five issues. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until Goblin Nation that it started to to slip. Um but
1: I mean like 698 is one of the all-time like great Twist comics.
0: Yeah, I mean and it's and it that's a, and you know when you talk about kind of memorable moments and stuff, I mean like that's 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 a moment that's going to live on forever, you know. And and you know we of course in all this I'm not even talking about Ultimate and you know you can definitely make a case that Bendis for at least you know the front half, you know his Bagley run on Ultimate is some of the best Spider-Man comics out there too. But yeah,
1: I would say that's definitely tier one.
0: Um, well, I will not offend you. I'll, I'll, let, <laughs> I'll let you have it. I mean, you know, <clears throat> but um, but yeah, but in terms of legacy, that's kind of where I would put Slot. I mean, it, he's he's in the middle, which is not you know he's he's among good company. You know, it's not like. I mean, you can make a case. Also, Paul Jenkins did some wonderful stuff. I mean, you know, but I think slots slots had more legacy than Jenkins. As, uh, even if I like Paul personally, like Jenkins' writing more, I think slots done more memorable stuff. Yeah. Um.
1: It's tough to do memorable stuff, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially in this environment. Yeah. Because I mean, like so much stuff is kind of like it's designed to be kind of consumed and then processed and then you move on to something else
1: i mean say what you will but superior spider-man put spider-man back on the map at least spider-man comics into a cultural conversation again in a way that the book had been needing for a very long time
0: right although the flip side of that is people will say that you know slot was on the book when the when the book needed to be revived you know what i mean so sure kind of it kind of cuts both ways i mean and and, like, I do go back and read, like, kind of like those post-Spider Island issues of ASM before he gets to Superior. And there are there are some slog issues there, man. Like, I mean, yeah. I think if we were podcasting then, we would have had a lot of the same reactions to those that we did. Yeah, um, the lizard storyline is very ho-hum. Yeah, and the Hobgoblin, the Danger Zone arc. I mean, it's, you know. Although we do, you do get Harry Osborne, Breaking Bad, and that. (laughs) Um, So, anywho, that's 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 my take. I think, I hope we answered your question, Brian.
1: Yeah, and time will really tell. You know.
0: Yeah, and I mean, of course, you know, we are having this conversation with with rumors in the in the background that Dan Slott's time on the book might be coming to an end. We don't know yet. We'll see. You know, we're not going to really know that until we see October solicitations. But um, it does seem from some of the recent announcements starting to come out of Marvel that they're going to be changing up creative teams on some books, you know, over the next few months. It definitely, you know, you got Bendis on Iron Man. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be some other big announcements coming uh, about Marvel's books. So, you know,
1: a new Spider-Man or something like that. Have they said that? I I, I, I there was an interview, like, a day or two ago that, like, made it very clear that the new Spider-Man was neither Peter Parker
0: nor Miles Morales. Well, that's just ducky.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but there wasn't that promotional image uh, a Spider-Man that looked like Spider-Man, so I don't know. I, I,
1: no, they said they're not going anywhere, but there's another one.
0: You're Right, because... You know, there aren't enough spider
1: characters. <laughs> right, right. That's what this franchise needs, more spider characters.
0: It's, it's going to be Silk. Everything is going to be the amazing Silk. No, uh, call, call me Cindy. Call me Cindy. Uh, so, so speaking of which, why don't we get to our Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews.
1: I guess now is the time of the show that Mark and I and potentially a special guest talk about all the B books that we've been reading in about a minute or so, or hopefully under a minute. We've set our timers for that minute. And yeah. uh yeah, today we're not gonna be going through all the books. We're just gonna be talking about non secret wars titles.
0: Yeah, we're splitting this up a little bit. Well, Dan, I I, I I'm gonna go give Flash a call because um He's not here. He's still in the hospital. So give me one second, okay? Hold on. I'm just gonna. All right, hold on. Let me let me let me talk to Siri here. Siri, call Flash Thompson.
1: Just so you know, I don't do anything when
0: you blink at me. Oh, Siri must be drunk too. I don't know what's going on here. The bottom line is, Flash isn't here, Dan.
1: It's too bad.
0: So we're gonna to have to do Flash Thompson's reviews without him for this week. All right, why don't we get into Silk Number Five? All right, you want me to go first?
1: Yes, that sounds great, Mark. We'll do. Oh, not
0: don't, don't don't show disdain for me, Dan. I don't <laughs> appreciate that. So count me in, okay. partner. Three, two, one. Yes, Dan, I'm still reading this book, even though I said I probably wasn't after a while. I just can't quit. Liar,
1: liar, liar!
0: (laughs) I actually didn't mind this issue as much as I feel it started to advance some things with Cindy's family. Plus, there were a couple of interesting character moments between Cindy and Jonah and then Cindy as Silk herself. Uh, Still, this book does get a little too twee for me uh, with its dialogue. And the dialogue, in addition to trying to be a little too cutesy cutesy, also has these moments of being very rigid and cliched. I think there was a character who was like, I will get you or something ridiculous like that. Uh, And while Stacey Lee's art is pretty, um, we we did get a pretty interesting cliffhanger uh, at the end of this issue that does make me wonder what's going to happen next. I don't necessarily need this book in my life, um, but... This was better than the previous few issues, so I'm going to give it a fan club certified.
1: Okay, count me in, Mark. Three,
0: two, one.
1: Right now, Silk is kind of my fix for lightweight, fun superhero dramatics. Sure, the book has some structural problems, at least to me, mainly the awkwardly inserted flashbacks. But I'm enjoying the characters, and I guess unlike you, Mark, the dialogue... And But especially the artwork, like you said. Stacey Lee's artwork, which with the wonderful coloring by Ian Herring, has so much character in every panel that I find myself smiling over the tiniest of things. Whether it be a smug look from the black cat or just some truly stunning fight sequence layouts. This isn't a groundbreaking series, but it's simple fun with a story that isn't trying too hard to reinvent the wheel. And sometimes... I think a breath of fresh air is all I need when I'm reading comics. Fan club certified.
0: There you go. Although, Dan, I would say if you want something kind of light and breezy that I think is better than Silk, you should check out Batgirl.
1: All right. Well, I've never read a Batgirl <laughs> comic before.
0: Uh, yeah. it's a start. You should start with, like, the last arc, which I think was around issue 35, but it's really good. Um yeah, sorry. Not to get into other comics.
1: Hey, I love Batman. That's a great point.
0: Yeah, well, and that, that, that last issue was great, right? Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> next on Amazing Bat Talk. Um, we're now on to Spider-Gwen 5. Dan, you know how much I've been loving this series. What do you think I'm going to say about this issue?
1: You're going to love it. So let's count you in.
0: Three, two, one. Well, Dan, we still continue to get some interesting reinterpretations of characters in this comic, this time with Felicia Hardy. And I actually think visually this was some of Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi's best work yet. All the same, the pacing of this comic is all over the map, and there are legit sequences where I'm not even sure who Jason Latour is writing this comic for. We get a little more insight about Matt Murdock, but still not really enough to clarify why this character is so dramatically altered from his 6166 counterpart. I also think the series has moved away from the fun dialogue and unique kind of uh, rhythm to it uh, of language that made the Edge of Spider-Verse debut such a phenom. And yet the series ends, too, because of Secret Wars, which uh, I don't quite understand why there can't be last days for Gwen. But uh, in terms of this being the last comic, I'm going to give this a puny Parker.
1: That's a shame. Do you really think that this book is finished? Like, are we going to get Latour and Rodriguez back again?
0: I have no idea, Dan. This, uh, this, this, to me, this is where I mean. If there's not a sign that they were not expecting Spider Gwen to be so popular, I think this is it. You know, like because obviously, like Silk and Spider Woman, which were part of the plans from the get-go, they're getting these like Last Days books, and it's like it's almost like they don't know how to have Gwen in two books. Uh, and it's I guess the shame is the Gwen that we're getting over the span of Secret Wars, which we'll get into in a future episode is not very good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they don't bring back these two guys, like, talk about, like, bungling a cash cow.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, here, yeah, let me catch you in. Three, two, one. Mark,
1: I'm not as down on this issue as you are, but I'm also not anywhere nearly as hot on it as I've read online, including on our own site. Yeah. Um, but although I agree, this is really Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi's issue through and through. The battle between the ninjas and cat mascots set against Felicia Hardy's battle with Matt Murdock is wonderful comic book superhero stuff and nonsense. Yet with the series still in its infancy or even maybe dying throws, who knows what the future has in store for our favorite Spider-Gwen. I'm not sure I was dying to spend an issue with more fighting and less Spider-Gwen, a character who, for me, has kind of floated into the background of her own book. The really interesting drama of the series is between her and her father, and I still don't feel like we've seen that play out enough. Still, I had enough fun with this crazy issue, and the art is definitely worth recognizing. So I'm going to give it a moderate fan club certified.
0: You just came in two seconds under, Dan. There we go. That's how you do it. All right, Dan. So without further disruption from drunk flash why don't we get into the goodbye part of the show
1: yeah sorry to see g- us go everybody or maybe you're not maybe you're sick and tired of us talking but if you <laughs> want to hear more of us of course you can find all of our new amazing spider talk and old superior spider talk podcast over at our old site superior that is a lot of spider talks in one sentence Of course, you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please make sure you leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing. We'll read it on the air. It's been a little while since we've gotten a comment in. So uh, make sure you're doing that. Of course, if you have any opinions on the comics that we've discussed today or any questions, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. And we'll address and read those on the air as well.
0: Yeah, and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash talk and facebook.com slash amazing. Uh, as you all probably should hopefully know by now, there are great places to keep up with us because we post articles. We talk about fun things and good times and noodle salad. Um, so, yeah, Facebook. Mark, I don't
1: know what you're doing
0: on your Chasing Amazing
1: Facebook, but I'm certainly not talking about noodle salad.
0: Oh, come on. gotta—that's a, That's a quote from a movie. Good times, noodle salad. Right. Think about it. Think about it, Dan. Do you know it?
1: I don't actually.
0: How about – maybe if I do it in the voice of the actor. Good times, noodle salad.
1: OK. Well, I'm thinking maybe it's uh, as good as it gets.
0: Correct, Wow. My, my imitation actually works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw that movie when it was released in theaters, so it's been a while.
0: Oh, I, I, That's actually a favorite of mine, so anywho.
1: Anyway, uh, as always, if you guys want to follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales in a lot more detail, I'll point you guys over to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor, uh, which is a really great show, so I'm, I'm telling you all to check it out,
0: The Ultimate Spin. Definitely check out The Spin, kids. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club that helps support our show. Uh, and speaking of support for our show, our theme song is courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic.
1: And a special thanks again to Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumser, Ron Friends, and the legendary Sal Busema for all of our show's artwork mark where can we find you on the internet this week
0: yeah well of course you can find me at www.superiorspidertalk.com where i'm running through the uh greatest peter mj stories uh and then also back by popular demand and really people have been requesting this clone saga callback is going to be appearing on uh superior spider talk dan are you ready for some clone saga retrospectivists
1: I've tried to avoid some Clone Saga material on my site, but I guess it is inevitable. The Clone Saga is going to rear its ugly head, and as far as I know, you are really getting into the doldrums of this series in your uh, your uh, retrospective, aren't you?
0: Yeah, we're going to see exactly how far I can push this series because I I do think there's going to get to a point where it's going to be like I can't write about this anymore. It's it's but it's 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 right now it's still kind of quirky enough to have things to say um also find me on twitter at chasing asm blog dan you where are you
1: you can find me on twitter at at sup spider for my spider-man stuff and at dan Gavostin for just my normal account and uh, of course read everything that i do on superior spider although mark you're taking over a lot of that stuff all of my writing on that site um, <laughs> So you can read well, what I'm really focusing on now is my film writing over at grindmyreels.com where I should have a review for Jurassic World and for Inside Out coming up this weekend.
0: Where is the setup, Dan?
1: Yeah, this week I went to a, a, a butcher shop and oh. uh, and it was part of like you know this educational tour and they took us through the back where there were all these like cows, carcasses hanging and stuff like that and um, I heard this sound – you know, coming from one of the rooms in the back, and you'll never guess who I saw back there.
0: Were you on the killing floor, Dan?
1: Yes, it was. the Well, I, and that was a killing room in the back there.
0: Well, I was going to say, because to to quote something that's much more witty than I am, it, the, the killing floor is actually a misnomer. It's not actually a floor. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, so so you, you heard some stuff and you want to know who was making the sound? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I, I mean like I, I, perhaps you know more about it.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I know that um, when I was a kid, my, um, my Uncle Ben just made the best kidney pie. I mean my goodness, like melt in your mouth, Dan. I mean you want good awful Uncle Ben's kidney pie. So, but of course, you know, Uncle Ben died tragically no. at, the, at the hands of a burglar. So, you know, those days are gone.
1: Oh, I've, that, I just, I only really wiped my brow. I thought Uncle Ben was going to die in a horrible
0: butcher's accident. No, no, no. And I don't mean to be laughing because this is, this is very sad. I, but I was going to say, perhaps uh, it was his ghost uh, at the killing floor, just whispering over, The recipe of kidney pie, one onion diced, two cups, potatoes, kidneys, pie, and with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk.